We're going to go all the way through to Malachi as we take a look at what the Lord lays out for us in, uh, in the prophets. Now, as we look at Isaiah, let's get the time, make sure we have the time set in our minds. The nation of Israel has divided into two. The northern kingdom, you'll remember, is called Israel. And ten tribes went with Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And two tribes were in Judah. It's easier for me to tell you the two tribes. That would be Benjamin and Judah together in the southern kingdom. What we need to realize, okay, the northern kingdom has already been taken by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the power of the day during Isaiah. And the nation of Judah looked at the judgment of their sister, Israel, as though, yeah, they finally got theirs for how rotten they are. But they were thinking everything with them was okay. Truly, as we look at history, we're going to see that the nation uh, or, or the, the, the Israel, the northern kingdom, had no good kings at all. Eighteen lousy ones. None of them wanted to follow the Lord. None of them really cared. They were a trouble. The nation uh, of Judah or the southern kingdom, they kind of went up and down. So as a result, the northern kingdom fell into uh, the judgment of God sooner. Now, what's that point? Listen, whenever we talk about the judgment of God, you need to realize and recognize that God knows us better than we know ourselves. That means God knows we tend to come toward Him in the furnace of affliction more than we do when times are great. God knows that when we go through difficulties, we will, if we will, turn toward God, we will turn toward God in those times. And he told the nation of Israel, here's how you'll know. This is how you'll know if you're doing good. He told them that he would withhold the rain, that there would be famine. And that was a sign to them that God was not pleased that they were walking away from him. And so when they recognized the famine, because they would study the word and the word wasn't just words on a page to them, they would ap- apply that word. They would put it in their life and they say, oh, We need to to change our hearts and get after the Lord. But that didn't happen. And so the judgment of God came. Now that that northern kingdom is primarily going to be utterly destroyed. And the ten tribes, keep in mind, just because the leaders of ten tribes went together, does that mean everyone from the ten tribes was there? No. It doesn't mean that. And nor does it mean that just because Judah and Benjamin were in the southern kingdom that everyone who was born of Judah or Benjamin stayed. They went back and forth. They moved all around. So you had a representative within each kingdom of all 12 tribes. Though the leadership was, the the 10 tribes was in the north and the leadership of the two tribes was in the south. The Assyrians are going to take the northern kingdom. They're going to pretty much wipe them out except for a small group of poor folks that they leave behind. And that small group of poor folks that they leave behind are going to intermarry with other Gentile races and they are going to become a people group known as the Samaritans. Jesus is going to talk about them. The Samaritans are going to be so hated by the the elitist attitude of the, of the nation of Israel and of the, the, the basic Jewish person that they're not even allowed to come to Jerusalem to worship. So they build their own temple on their own mountain. 
You remember Jesus coming to the woman of the well in Samaria? And, and she says to him, the Jews say that we should worship on that mountain, but we say we should worship on this one. Jesus said the time is coming when man will understand what it is to worship God in spirit and in truth. Not all wrapped around the axle. But he did say what? Salvation is of the Jews. So as he lays that out, that's kind of a a sideline note to what's going on and what's going to happen with that northern kingdom. That northern kingdom, never good, always evil, and uh, the the Assyrians are going to are going to wipe them out. So Isaiah is writing during this time. And he's writing primarily to Judah, the southern kingdom. And as he writes to Judah, he wants them to realize that they're not immune to the judgment that they just saw fall on the northern kingdom. They think, oh, good God, get them. But the Bible tells us, folks, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love does not rejoice in iniquity but it rejoices in good. And it should have served for them as a warning sign. Oh, man, I need to be really drawn near the Lord. And as I shared, some kings did that. Isaiah's prophecy is going to deal with another judgment that's coming. You and I, we already studied it. That judgment is a judgment from the north coming from Babylon. And Babylon is going to take the southern kingdom from which they take four young Hebrew youths, at least, that we read about in the Scripture, right? You remember them? Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and and Ashael. He's going to bring those guys together, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, that will be a part of that. So that's what Isaiah is focusing on with the nation of Judah. Okay. Now remember, as we go through the Scriptures, he's still going to use the term Israel. When he uses the term Israel, sometimes he's talking about the northern kingdom. Sometimes he's talking about the whole nation collectively. And context will, share, will show that to us as we go through. So let's take a look. Chapter 2, we, are going, we, have, we have this brilliant plan that we're going to make it to chapter 5. But we might not make it to chapter 5. I heard chuckles. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We're not going to push it, but uh, that's our goal. Let's see what happens. So the word... That Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, so now he's, he's focused in the big scheme of things, Judah, southern kingdom, and then narrowing that focus down to Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Folks, that hasn't happened yet. What he's, what he's describing is what's going to take place in the millennium, in the reign, physical reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. When Jesus returns, Scripture tells us that he will set up his kingdom, that there will be a thousand-year reign of perfect peace. And during that time, whoever survived the tribulation and the judgment of the nations will enter into the millennium. And as they enter into the millennium, they will all come to Jerusalem. It will be the capital of the world. You remember when uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary? You know that one of the promises he gave her was that her son would sit on the throne of David. Has Jesus done that yet? No. He will sit on the throne of David. And he will 
rule with a rod of iron over the entire world. And you and I, who will put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will reign and rule with him during that millennium age. We will no longer be as we are today. No worries during the millennium of us falling, of messing up, of somehow, you know, ruining the whole deal. No, we will be perfected. Why? Because we will know him as he knows us. We will be like unto Jesus. We will always be with him, and we will fulfill the role that he has for us in the kingdom. But those who survive the tribulation, they're going to go to Jerusalem to worship. Look at what the next verse says. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Now, I don't want to go further than that. I want you always feel free to write all over your Bible. You should wear them things out. Write in them so much you can't read it no more, and then get another one. Put that one on a shelf. Then you know you're utilizing it. I always love it when God calls himself the God of Jacob. Because Jacob, guys, is a regular person. Jacob is not somebody that you and I look at and go, and and immediately holiness comes to mind. Immediately holiness comes to mind when we call him the God of Abraham, doesn't it? The God of Isaac. But when you say the God of Jacob, Jacob was a deceiver, a liar. He was a, a problem all the time. But you see, now God is his God. He is in the place. Think of it as the nation of Israel is Jacob. And the tribulation is called what? The time of Jacob's trouble. As God gets their eyes back on him and he will look upon the Lord, they will look upon Jesus as one looks upon his only son. And they'll mourn for him as they see the nail prints in his hands. Zechariah declares it to us. When they see him, they're going to realize he's my God. That's Jesus was the Messiah. They're going to come to that place. Haggai says, the Lord declares in Haggai, the prophet Haggai, minor prophet, we'll get there. But Haggai says, the Lord says, I will return to my place until you acknowledge what you have done. Where did the Lord return to? If he isn't here, how can he return? He came, Jesus Christ was rejected, returned, and one day Israel is going to proclaim, they're going to believe Israel that is going to be saved, declared in, in Romans 9, 10, 11 by the Apostle Paul, that Israel, that Israel that will be saved, all of Israel will be saved, are the ones who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They will recognize He is our Messiah and He will return. And He will set up an earthly kingdom on earth for a thousand years and rule in Jerusalem. And that's what this scripture is talking about. He is known here as the house of the God of Jacob. Why? Because he's got Jacob on track. When Jacob was on track, what did God call him? Israel. Governed by God. When Jacob was off track, what did God call him? Jacob. Which means deceiver, supplanter, problem child. So... We can see that indication as we go through. He's not afraid, though, not ashamed to be called by Jacob's name. I love that. And he goes on and says, He will teach us his ways. Who will teach us his ways? He will teach us his ways. Now, Scripture indicates to us, folks, that no man can see the Father. No one can see him. The Bible tells that God 
dwells in, in inapproachable light. And one day, when there is no more heaven, no more earth, and we're all together, I'm sure that in that state, it's not going to be like it is now. But the scripture says that God is going to teach them, that God is going to stand before them. Who is it talking about? It's talking about Jesus Christ. What is God's final word to man? Hebrews 1, 1. God at various times and in various places has spoken to us through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us how? Through his son. Jesus. Jesus, God, God, very God, he is going to teach everyone his ways. The Bible says he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Everyone is going to follow. People are going to understand what it is for the first time in history to dwell in peace. The world has never seen a sustained peace since mankind has been on it. But when Jesus rules, there will be that sustained peace. He, Jesus, will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Uh, Revelation chapter 19 says that Jesus' name, the name written on his thigh is what? The Word of God. John, John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God the Word, Jesus Christ. This final message that God has to give mankind, spoken through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to teach them during the kingdom. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many peoples, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You know, that's at the UN building. Now, at the same time, while they're putting scripture up in the Capitol, they're saying how ridiculous it is to follow scripture or to pay any attention to it. But nonetheless, man is never going to discover this peace apart from Christ. There is no peace except with him. In Jesus Christ. He'll bring that peace. And when he rules, he's going to rule with... Listen, it's not going to be naturally everyone's righteous. It is going to be a rule uh, with a rod of iron. No one is going to steal anymore. They're not going to steal because of the way that Jesus rules. It's going to be a forced peace. Until Satan is loosed for a season. And then there will be man's last great act of defiance against God. Prior to the great white throne judgment. Well, as we look at this, it says, uh, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Folks, that's Isaiah talking to his people. As he's given this prophecy about the kingdom, then he tells the folks of Judah, he tells his, his family, the, the people that he's ministering to, hey, let's walk in the light. Considering all these things that are happening, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Why do you want to play in the darkness? Why do you want to hide in the corner? Come, let's walk in the light. This is what Isaiah is saying. Let's walk in the light of the Lord right now. We want to look forward to his return, but I want to be found walking in the light. I want to be found doing what God has called us to do. Now he goes on, verse 6. 
For you, now focusing in on Jerusalem, remember, for you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. People bow down, and each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. He says, listen, this is what's taken place. The nation of Judah has been inundated with the eastern philosophies of the nations around them. The nation of Judah during this time would sacrifice their children to the god Molech in the valley of Hinnom in Gehenna right outside of Jerusalem. You can still go there and see that, see the, the place where that took place today. And so their heart was pulled away from the Lord. You'll remember God told the kings, the kings of the nation of Israel, when they ruled, they were to take the book of the law, the Old Testament, and they were to make their own copy. That way, every king read it. Every king knew what was required. And they would have read, they would have copied, and copied that the Lord God said, Do not multiply for yourselves wives. Why? Because they'll turn your heart away from the Lord when you start marrying all these people from other places. Keep in mind, what did the kings do to make peace with another nation? We see it in history. They would marry the princess or the king's daughter or whatever from some other nation, and that would make sure that there was peace. But God said, don't do that. Why? Because they'll turn your heart away from God. He said, don't multiply for yourselves horses. Why? He said, don't multiply for yourself horses because you're going to start to put your trust in your horses and your chariots and not in God's ability to deliver. Then he said, don't multiply for yourself gold and silver. Yet, why? Why not multiply gold and silver? Why? Because you'll put your trust in gold and silver. You want a perfect example? United States of America. I don't know about you, but for me, if I run into a problem, something breaks or something needs fixed or kids are sick, I am rich enough to take my child to the doctor to go seek some other care, to pay whatever I need to pay, to do whatever I need to do, to the point that I don't even have to think about seeking the Lord before I do it because I have what I need in my pocket. But God would rather us live in a place where we're, we're, we're existing, our subsistence is in Him, so that we seek Him in every aspect. Well, what he just laid out about Jerusalem, do you see? He's saying, listen, you're filled with eastern ways. You've got the soothsayers, those who are, are telling your fortune. You're pleased with the children of foreigners. You're, you're intermarrying with these other places, okay? Multiplying for yourselves wives. He says that you're full of gold. You're full of chariots. You're full of all these things. And then finally, look, he talks about them making idols with their hands. And people bow down and each man humbles himself. God is going to tell them their primary issue and the primary issue with all mankind that takes him into sin is going to be pride. But for some reason, he will humble himself before an idol that he made with his own hands. Doesn't want to humble himself before God. But he'll humble himself 
before that idol. And so Isaiah says, therefore, don't forgive him. In, in verse 10, now enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. In that day, the Lord alone. Now, in the near prophecy, he's looking toward the judgment of Babylon coming down. Further away, the next mountain peak, we see that the, as, he, as he speaks about the day of the Lord and the day when the Lord will be exalted, we know that that's going to occur at the conclusion of the tribulation period. Often as we look at prophecy, you're going to see what's called near fulfillment and far. It looks like the same mountain, right? But there's a valley in between them. And we have near fulfillment going to take place as Babylon comes and takes the nation far fulfillment fulfilled as uh, at the conclusion of the tribulation period look at verse 12 for the day of the lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty upon everything lifted up and it shall be brought low we know when the scripture talks about the day of the lord what are we looking at we're looking at the tribulation period 70th week of daniel specifically if we zoom in more the final three and a half year period of time the very worst of the worst of the, of the tribulation period. So this is what he's looking at. And what's the issue? What's the problem? Pride. Haughtiness. People elevating themselves. Remember I told you, Judah would look at their sister who was just taken in captivity and say, yeah, those guys deserve it. And they weren't looking at themselves. There but by the grace of God go I, right? When we see a brother or sister caught in trespass or sin... What's our heart supposed to say? We're supposed to come alongside in a spirit of gentleness and meekness and lift them up, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. Because I can fall just like they did. And if we think we can't, the Bible says, let you who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. This, is what, this was the attitude of the nation, proud, pride. Upon the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, Upon the oaks of Bashan, upon the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, and upon every fortified wall, upon the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the beautiful slopes. As we consider, uh, later on as we get into some other prophecies, we'll dial it in a little, a little neater, but typically when the scripture talks about Tarshish, we're looking in the area of Britain and of, of England, that area of the world, when we, when we talk about uh, the ships of Tarshish. Now, as we continue on, the loftiness of men shall be bowed down, the haughtiness of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But the idols he will utterly abolish. Listen, when they go into captivity at Babylon, when they come out, their struggle with idol worship is going to be over. Their struggle with self-righteousness will just be beginning. But they, we won't see them as a nation fall into idol worship again after the captivity of Babylon. God cures it. He sends them to the center of idol worship, Babylon. The center of all idol worship, the center of every false religion in the world today had its foundation at the Tower of Babel in Babylon and it spread around the world from there. And you can, if you want to do a study, there's a great book by Reverend, Reverend Hislop 
that tells the story of the two Babylons, and he can draw the, the lines from false world religions around the world, who they worship, who their gods are, and he can bring them all back to one central place, Babylon. So it's an interesting study as we take a look. Well, the Lord says, you want idols? I'll send you to the capital of idol worship. And 70 years there cured them. They came out desiring to follow the Lord. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth mightily. Does that sound familiar? It ought to sound familiar because in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, you see it take place. In fact, let's turn there real quick. Revelation chapter 6. We're seeing the, the beginning of, uh, of the tribulation period. It's starting. We have the, the seven seals are being opened in chapter 6, verse 16. It says, well, let's back up to verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of he who sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So as we look for that great and terrible day had come, look, we see this taking place being prophesied by Isaiah long before Revelation is going to be written and even further before we're going to see it fulfilled. But we see the same thing happening there. In Joshua, you see the same thing happening there, that the kings are going to hide in the mountains and, and cry out for terror of the Lord. He goes on in verse 20. Now, in that day, a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship to the moles and the bats. Why would you think he would say the moles and the bats? Well, I don't know. There's, if I was trying to make some common denominator between moles and bats, it would be that neither one of them see very good. It's as though God's saying, hey, the idols are for the blind. Those who don't understand, those who don't know, those who don't see, they're going to throw them all. They're going to bury them in the holes. They're going to throw them in the caves for the, for the moles and for the bats. They're not, going to, they're not going to follow those idols any longer. To go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and from the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth mightily. Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? Listen, here's what God's going to do. That, that final seal, as we look at the seven seals in uh, Revelation, is a global earthquake. The entire earth is going to shake. Now maybe we have all been through earthquakes before. But there will be an earthquake. We have never been through a global earthquake. When the whole earth is going to move when the whole earth is going to shake. And when that takes place in Revelation chapter 6, what Isaiah wrote about here is going to happen. The near prophecy is as that earth was shaking as Babylon's mighty army is coming in, they're going to see this symbol take place in the near fulfillment. In the far fulfillment, Isaiah is talking about the Lord's return and what God's going to accomplish Chapter 3, he goes on, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, 
takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread, the whole supply of water. Now, as we look at this first verse, it's interesting because you see the word Lord twice. The first one is Adonai. Adonai can be used of any master, any ruler. It's the the smaller case, L-O-R-D. The next one is all caps. It's the tetragrammaton, the name of God, Yahweh, the Y-H-V-H, that is the very name of God. All we know are the consonants. No vowels. Impronounceable name of God. That's what he's saying. So, not only Adonai, Lord, Master, but Lord, the covenantal name of God. The Lord of hosts. He's going to take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock in the store. So they're going to lose all of the things that they have. All of their supplies are going to go. When Babylon comes against them, and when we see Babylon come... They're going to come the first time, not quite so angry, and things work out pretty good. They still leave a king there. They still leave a presence there. And, and when we get to Jeremiah, we'll see Jeremiah telling the people, dwell in peace. This is what the Lord has for you. But they kept wanting to pick up swords. So Nebuchadnezzar kept coming back. And after he came back the third time, there was no Jerusalem anymore. There was no any place. He utterly destroyed everything well here he says listen this destruction it may come through the the hand of nebuchadnezzar through the hand of babylon but it passes through the hands of the lord of yahweh it comes from him the mighty man and the man of war the judge and the prophet and the diviner and the elder the captain of the 50 and of the honorable men the counselor and the skillful artisan and the expert enchanter. And I will give children to be their princes. Now when we look at this, this is, well, this is not good. What it means is you're going to have incompetent leadership. When he says, I will give you children for your leaders, children for your kings and princes. That's what he's speaking of uh, in the scriptures. You're going to have incompetent leadership and babes shall rule over them more incompetent leadership the people will be oppressed every one by another and every one by his neighbor and look at this mark of the time the child will be insolent toward the elder and and base toward the honorable he's saying that the children at that time now he's looking at the judgment befalling them from babylon The things that are going to mark them is they didn't respect their elders and they didn't care about those who they should have given honor to. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have to think very hard to plug the U.S. into that statement. That's not hard for me to see. And nor do I have to think very hard to plug the U.S. into incompetent leadership. I can plug that in too. As we look at these prophecies, as we look at the Word, keep in mind... We're studying it in context, and we want to see what Isaiah was laying out for his people, and it has that. But don't forget that the Bible is living and powerful, and it speaks to us today. Where we are, where we're going, what's happening. We are foolish to think that God would judge the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom for the things that were going on in their nations and assume that there's no judgment on the horizon for us. There's no judgment for our nation. 
our judgment was paid for by Jesus Christ. But that there's not that time coming, that judgment coming upon a nation that's going in the opposite direction. We'll see that as we continue the other things that will mark the nation. In verse 6, when a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father saying, You have clothing, you be our ruler, and let these ruins be under your power. In that day, he will protest and say, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. The people are going to say, "Ah, you be the ruler. I don't want to be the ruler. You be the ruler. I don't have anything to be the ruler. You rule. Nobody wants to take the position of leadership. Nobody wants to take that position before the Lord. For why? Verse 8. For Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of His glory. Their tongue and their doings. That's where truth exists, right? Truth exists where words and deed become one. Now that can be both in a positive sense or a negative sense. And I'm, if I'm in opposition to the Lord... First, that opposition will come through my lips. But it will make its way to my heart. So it's not very far from speaking it to to doing it. And that's what took place in Judah. They were speaking against the Lord. They're speaking against what He was doing. And that was causing their nation to crumble, their nation to fall. In verse 9, he says, The look... On their countenance, witnesses against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. That means they have no shame. I think about that every time I see a gay pride parade. Because let me tell you, if you've never been around it, I used to live in Sodom, just down the street from Gomorrah, in a place near Palm Springs, which is the largest population of homosexuals uh, even rivaling San Francisco. Palm Springs also boasts the highest population of AIDS patients because they have the Desert AIDS Project there. My point is, when you come to the Gay Pride Parade, they do things in the street that you couldn't do in any parade you want to do. You couldn't do it. Nor would you have the sense, you would at least have a good sense, not to flaunt sin out like it's like you're proud of your sin. That's what he's saying. Hey, you're flaunting your sin. You're, you're thinking, woohoo, you know, hey, I do all these things. This is great. And the Lord says, hey, you declare your sin like Sodom. You don't care. You don't care what's right or wrong. They do not hide it, he says. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. This is the first of eight woes that Isaiah is going to bring until the famous woe in Isaiah chapter 6. These first woes are all going to be directed at others. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. But woe to the wicked, for it shall be ill with him for the reward of his hands shall be given him david said in the psalms i used to struggle when i saw the wicked prosper 
I'd look at the wicked prosper, and it almost caused me, David said, to lose heart. And then I went into the sanctuary, and I saw his end. And David found peace in realizing that there is a day of judgment for the wicked. They may seem like everything's great for them here, but there is a day of judgment. And that judgment is vastly more horrible than you or I can even begin to imagine. And David said, you know what? I didn't lose heart anymore when I saw their end, when I saw the, the horror of that judgment. It changed his attitude toward what he saw going on with the wicked. Same way here. Look what he says. The reward of his hands will be given him. Every wicked man is going to pay for his own sin. Every person that enters into the presence of God apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ is going to bear the penalty for his own sin. Eternal separation from God. Period. Everyone will gain the work of his hands. As for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Listen, this is a curse upon the people saying that women lead them. Now, please don't take that as a slam to women. That's not what it's intended for. It's intended as a slam to men. Why? Because men are called to lead. And it was a black mark against the nation of Israel uh, when when we were in the time of the judges when Deborah had to lead the children of Israel because no man would do it. Now, God is capable and will work through a woman at any time. But any time that takes place and there was no man to stand, God's going to call man on the carpet for that. Because it is man's responsibility to lead. And it is a check against him if women have to do it. So that's the point of view that God's coming from that that this is uh, this is against the the men and what they're doing goes on in verse 13 the Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people the Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes for you have eaten up the vineyard the plunder of the poor is in your houses what do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor says the Lord of hosts Remember I told you, and we talked about they were flaunting their sin like Sodom. Remember the sin of Sodom. The sin of Sodom was pride, fullness of food, and they didn't care about the poor. And what's being said here is, they're in Judah, in Jerusalem. Not only did they not care about the poor, they're plundering the poor. It's not just that they were, didn't care about them, they're ripping them off. And who is it? The the scripture very clearly indicates that God upholds the right of the poor. That God watches out for the poor, the widow, the fatherless. He is the one to, to watch over those. And so he will require that. He will require that at their hands. And that's what he's saying. Moreover, the Lord says in verse 16, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks. The daughters of Zion, the, 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 he's focusing on, in on the women here, but probably he's talking about the people in general, that their issue is pride. Pride is their problem. They are proud. You know, pride has been a problem of mankind since Satan fell. And what caused Satan to fall? Pride. 
the I wills. I will lift my throne above the throne of the Most High. The pride of Satan causing him to fall, infecting mankind in the Garden of Eden, and it's been with us ever since. And so he says, here's the issue. The daughters of Zion are haughty, and they walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes. That phrase for wanton eyes, it means that they have a desire for sexual impurity. That they're proud of themselves and where they are, but they're, they're walking the same path that their sister kingdom, northern kingdom, was walking when they went into judgment. He says, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. The Lord is laying out, you'll be exposed and humiliated. They will exchange all that pride for being exposed and humiliated. But you've got to remember when we look at that, it's not an attitude. Our attitude should not be, yeah, that's what they should get. Our attitude should be, listen, that's the place where they'll call in the name of the Lord. And whatever they need to go through to call upon the name of the Lord needs to happen because God is more concerned with their eternal state in heaven with Him than He is with the goodness that they have in the land of the living. Whatever it takes that they'll walk with Him. That's what God's going to do. When we look at the book of Revelation, we see the tribulation. We can start looking at it like, yeah, the Lord's casting these judgments and and bam, these people are being wiped out. And those people are being wiped out. And, and go get them, God. But the Lord is doing it so that they'll turn to Him and repent. That they'll call upon His name. The, the accusation that is prevalent through the book of Revelation is, neither did they call upon the name of the Lord. Neither did they repent. They, didn't, they won't draw near Him. For what has taken place is an outright and utter rejection of Him. Well, this is what's going on with these women. He goes on in verse 18. In that day, the Lord will take away their finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves and the crescents, the pendants and bracelets and veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments and the headbands, perfume boxes, charms and the rings, nose jewels, festal apparel and mantles, the outer garments, the purses, the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. And so it shall be. Instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a girding, the girding of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Your men will fall by the sword, and your mighty in the war. Her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate, shall sit on the ground. Listen, what the Lord is declaring is all this finery is going to be removed and replaced with the marks of captivity. And in that place, she will call on the name of the Lord. When we see the places of judgment, we need to realize that that is the purpose. It's not to beat, to hurt, to maim. It's so that Man and women will call upon the name of the Lord. 
and enter into a relationship with Him that will last forever. And when they're in heaven, in the presence of God, do you really think they're complaining about what they had to go through? They're going to be happy that God loved them so much He put them through that so that they could call upon His name and be saved. That's what the Lord wants to do. That's what's being accomplished in this captivity. Well, he goes on in uh, chapter 4. It says, Now, in that day, seven women will take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name. It, it seems to indicate that after the, 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 the battles that will take place as Babylon comes down, there will be far fewer men than women. Does that ever happen today? Sure. Go to Russia. Why do you think you can buy a Russian bride on the internet? Because there are so few Russian men to Russian women. What happened to them? They were slaughtered in World War II. And they're still struggling to recover from the amount of men that were slaughtered, both by Hitler's army and by their own, in World War II. The men of Russia were wiped out. And so there is this this shortage of men. Well, that's what's taking place with Israel. The men are going to be wiped out. They're going to be wiped out. And so seven women will lay hold of one man. Oh, you know, I don't even care if you give me anything. You could be rotten. Just let me have your name. They just want to remove the reproach in their eyes of being single and not having children. And whatever that takes place, uh, that's, that's the way that they're going to call out upon them. He goes on, no, in verse 2, look at verse 2. But in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. The remnant. The remnant of Israel. The remnant that believe. When he talks about the branch, the word is netzir. It's uh, the root word from Nazarene. One of uh, the, the many titles that Jesus was called often. Jesus uh, the Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth. It means the branch. The scripture indicates for us in Isaiah chapter 11. In fact, we'll just jump ahead for a moment. In Isaiah chapter 11, it's going to give us this, this prophecy of the branch. <clears throat> there shall come forth... A rod from the stem of Jesse. Okay? A rod from the stem of Jesse. And a branch will grow out of his roots. The roots are the primary cause for the stem. There will be a branch that grows out of the primary cause of the stem. Primary cause for Jesse is God. The branch will grow forth from his roots. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So it's a prophecy of the coming of Messiah. So when we see these prophecies of the branch, know that that's a messianic title of the Messiah, the one who is uh, to come in the name of the Lord. So as we look, it says, Now in that day, the branch, the Messiah of the Lord, shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth will be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Now, if we back up and we look at that near fulfillment taking place with Babylon, but we back up and we see 
According to Revelation chapter 12, Satan, when he is cast out of the presence of God to the earth, is going to come to the earth with this, this rotten hatred for the people of God, for tribulation saints and the people of God. Actually, it says the people of God and their children. So we're looking at the nation of Israel. And Satan is going to look to wipe them out. The Antichrist is going to move against them. There's going to be the worst holocaust that there has ever been as they're going to be uh, facing utter annihilation. But in those days, the branch is going to be beautiful. Jesus is going to return. Now, the scripture tells, it lays out for us, at least in Jerusalem, more than a third of all the Jews in one day are going to be destroyed in Jerusalem. And we see that this, this persecution, perhaps what he's talking about is during that time, there'll be seven women to each man that survives that period of time. But look what he says. I love how he says that at the end, uh, the fruit of the earth will be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. For those, the remnant who survive, the remnant who enter in to the, to the kingdom age as Jesus rules and reigns. Because they're going to enter into it. We're going to see, Isaiah's going to talk a lot about the kingdom age, guys. We're going to see the earth perfected, like in the Garden of Eden. Wouldn't you like to see it that way? No desert, just ripe, no weeds. Can you even imagine that a place like that? The weeds were after the fall, folks. Before the fall, everything was for food. I imagine I could go pull an apple out of a tree and it tastes just like T-bone steak. You don't think so? <laughs> but the, we see that in the kingdom, the world is going to be perfect. It's going to go back to that state. The closest I've been to that is I, I had opportunity to be in the Amazon jungle and I had a chance to walk along the Amazon River. You couldn't starve there. There is so much fruit everywhere you look that you just reach out and pull it out of a tree. Just it's amazing. You don't even want some of the there's a fruit there called booger fruit. It tastes good. I don't know if you ever get past the look of it, but it tastes good. It looks like a little kiwi. But when you open it up, it looks like somebody blew their nose in it. That's how it looks. So somebody brings that to you and says, here, try this. Uh, I'm not really sure. I need to see you take that off a tree. But uh, actually, we, <coughs> we tried it, and it was good. But when the Scripture talks about it, hey, that's what the world is going to go back to that. It's going to be like that. In verse 3, he, he's going to continue to... To, to talk about the, the holiness that will be a part of society. Look, and it will come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem, they're going to be holy, set apart completely to God. When the Lord has washed away the filth, they're going to be made clean of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. You know, it's interesting because when we, the Bible talks about, describes Jesus in the book of Revelation, it says he has the eyes of what? Like a flame of fire. The Bible says that all our works are going to be judged by what? Burning. By the fire. By the fire of what? Now, maybe it's the eyes of Jesus. 
He's just going to look at all that we've done and all the junk just burns away. And all that's left is the beauty. That's what he's pointing to here. Hey, they're going to be cleansed. They're going to they're they're going to receive that cleansing through the judgment by the spirit and the spirit of burning. The Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. You remember the children of Israel in Exodus? We often talk about how it must have been for them to look outside and see the presence of God. In that time in the kingdom, there's not going to be no worries about whether God exists or not. You'll be able to see Him. You'll see His cloud, the Shekinah glory of God, the pillar of fire at night, the cloud in the day. This is what He's, <clears throat> he's, laying, he's laying out for us. God's presence is going to be there. For over all the glory, there will be a covering. So over all that place, you're going to see God's covering over His people. And there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from the storm and the rain. So what's He saying? Look, He says, first, when we come into this place, we come into the kingdom, all the remnant that enters in, man, they're, they're going to to have this incredible time living in a, in a world of perfection. They're going to be holy. They're going to be clean. They're going to be cleansed. They're going to have the Lord's presence. And finally, they're going to have the Lord's protection. They're going to be in His presence all that time. The amazing thing to me as we look at all the different prophecies that talk about um, the kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, Someone died a hundred years old, they'll say a baby died. People's lifespans will be greatly increased, just as they were with Adam and Eve when the canopy was around the world, because the whole world's going to go back to like it was then. All those things, mankind around the entire world, can you imagine, is going to live in perfect peace. There's not going to be one hungry child. There's not going to be any of the things that we see in the world today that we point to and say, well, that's why I am the way I am. I had to grow up on the streets. I didn't have a mother who loved me and whatever my excuse might be. I'll say that environment is what has ruined me. We look at the perfection of the, the millennium and then we study in the book of Revelation and what happens? Satan gets one season, one season, one small period of time. And the army that rebels against God can't even be numbered. Why? Because man's not a product of his environment. Man is a product of sin. And every man will choose either to present himself as a slave to sin or to present himself as a slave of the Lord, slave to God, slave to righteousness. Bob Dylan said, you're going to serve somebody, right? It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And that's the choice that man will make. Even in that perfection, even in that place, we're going to see that. The beauty is, still knowing that, God is going to work all of that through. We're going to see the millennial reign of Christ. We're going to serve, rule and reign beside Him. We're going to be there on that day when that army that can't be numbered comes against Him. And we're going to see the last tears there will ever be. 
Because at that moment, man will be standing rather than on the battlefield. There will be no battle. Rather than standing on the battlefield, man will be standing before the throne of God. The great white throne judgment. The living and the dead will have their day in court. Their day with the Lord. The funny thing is, the Bible declares each one will declare God's judgment righteous. And that judgment of God will send everyone at the great white throne judgment to outer darkness. But the Bible says at that point, God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no heaven or no earth. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. A new creation that we can't even imagine. What's that going to be like? I don't know. We don't know. All I know is whatever I can imagine... It's not even close. It won't even be close to what God has in mind for those who love him. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, we're going to... I didn't make it to chapter 5, sorry. But uh, we'll get there next week. 5 and 6. We're going to go ahead and and, uh, take a moment of prayer. But we're also going to go ahead and worship tonight. On Sunday nights, we like to have an extended time of worship. So we invite you to stay Worship if you'd like, you know, find yourself a quiet place to pray if you want to do that. If you wanted to to come up to the altar and pray, you felt led to pray for another brother or sister. We want to provide an opportunity on Sunday nights for the working of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel like God's given you a word for someone else, we just ask you to, to go sit with them in love and share what you feel like God's placed on your heart. We just want a time... Uh, as we as we minister and as we worship to to provide that opportunity, so we're going to do that tonight. So we invite you to to stay and be a part of that. If you got a bail, it's all good, uh, but we'll, you'll have that opportunity. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we we thank you, we praise you, Father, for your word, the truth of your word, what your word declares. Lord, may we just see this. May we look at it and realize, God, there there are days coming. There are days coming that, that we can't even begin to fathom. Wow, they just blow our minds when we, when we consider them. And those days are just as true as every prophecy that has ever been fulfilled. Lord, we look so forward to that day and that time. When we see that perfect place, when we, when we walk in, in your presence. God, when we stand before you, I can't even imagine Father, may that desire to stand before you be what compels us, compels us to live a life holy to you, to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called, to seek your presence and your protection. Father, we just come before you this evening. We ask, God, that your spirit would move In a mighty way, we thank you for the work that you've already done. We thank you for the work that you are doing in each of us. So establish your truth in our hearts and lives as we seek you in Jesus' name. Amen.